Quality childcare helps parents return to work and can also play an important role in children's overall development. It's an essential service for an equitable society. But new research finds that even in the world's richest countries, one in seven parents have unmet childcare needs. Today, we're talking to Anna Gromada, research consultant at UNICEF Innocenti and author of a new report from UNICEF Innocenti, Where Do Rich Countries Stand on Childcare? We're going to discuss her research findings, what they mean, and what can be done to make childcare more available to all. Hi, I'm Dale Rutstein, and welcome to Research Matters, a podcast produced by the UNICEF Office of Research Innocenti in Florence, Italy. Anna Gromada, thanks so much for joining us for today's podcast. Hi, Dale. Thanks for having me. So, Anna, your new report finds that childcare is not accessible to many parents in the wealthiest countries. Tell us a bit more about what you found. Okay, so we made a few substantial findings. Firstly, childcare is a political choice. We showed that even some of the richest countries in the history of the world do not offer affordable childcare, not because they cannot afford it, it's just because they make a choice to keep it to the private realm. So there is little relationship between the country's wealth and quality and affordability of childcare. Second thing is that childcare-related things are a type of social change that needs time to gain traction. So, for example, countries that have introduced paternity leave around the world, the paternity leave was unheard of in 1970s. And then when it was introduced, even in the Nordics, at first it has a very low uptake. So we see that almost all countries that introduced paternity leave have increased literally on a yearly basis of the take-up. This is showing us that at first early adopters may face some barriers to using their entitlement. But then as the social change progresses, more and more people use it. And then we got this snowball effect that when it's becoming a new norm. And in a few countries, almost all fathers use at least some part of their entitlement. A third thing that we found is that still in some of the richest countries, Childcare is so phenomenally expensive that it amounts to be almost like a luxury good. On the one hand, we have countries like Chile or Italy where childcare is paid symbolically or sometimes free of charge completely. On the other hand, we have countries such as, for example, Slovakia, Cyprus, the United States, Switzerland, Ireland, where parents can spend between a third and a half of one's salary to keep two kids in childcare. That makes childcare a luxury good. So it seems like a combination of generous parental leave policies together with accessible childcare are really crucial for today's working parents. Does one of these matter more than the other? We cannot make a value judgment and put them in a hierarchical order. Firstly, because they are adapted to different developmental stages of a child. So maternity and paternity leave usually are granted when the child is born. And that serves for both mothers and fathers to forge some type of bonding when welcoming a child to the world. And that's linked to the child's age then we still believe that a reliable caregiver is irreplaceable. However, we believe that an exhausted, fatigued and stretched to the limits caregiver is also something that is bad for parents, bad for children and bad for the society. That's why we think that reliable caregivers should be supported by the network of both informal and formal support, for example, that will uh, work good for development of children, for early education and care for uh, children from low socioeconomic backgrounds so they can catch up. And that's also can relieve 
parents so they can be better for themselves and for their children and for the society. Right. Um, okay, one of the things you're looking at in the report is ranking countries on the quality of child care. How do we define quality? So uh, usually we can define it through inputs or through outputs. Inputs are the investments we make. Investments in terms of money, in terms of people, in terms of qualifications of caregivers, and in terms of, for example, and children to staff ratio. This is a proxy for attention children are given. We can also look at outputs. Some of the outputs are, for example, parental satisfaction with childcare or children's outcomes in terms of, for example, education and skills. In the report, we use the input side just because we have the most up-to-date, internationally comparable data for inputs, but not necessarily for outputs. That's why we looked at two indicators. One of them is a children to teacher ratio how many children are taken care of by one qualified caregiver. And the second thing are the minimal qualifications to become such a caregiver. Also, by the change in qualifications, we can see some paradigm change that in the past, caregiving wasn't perceived as an ambitious job. It was perceived as something that anybody can do. Only with the development of our knowledge about child development, we know that taking care of a child is something that requires uh, high personal, intellectual and emotional skills. And this new paradigm change is reflected in the minimal qualifications to become such a teacher. I'm curious, can you say what is the average teacher to child ratio across the high income countries? Yeah. So in rich countries for pre-primary children, this means children aged three to five, there are 14 uh, children per one teacher. Uh, however, in the programs for younger children, this ratio falls to lower numbers. Wow. That seems to be a high number to me, 14 to one. Yes, it's also because we take the number of children per one teacher, and that excludes teacher aides. Now, I think many people will wonder about informal child care. So like grandparents or stay-at-home parents, are we looking at that? And if not, is there argument to say that they could be better than formal child care? We are not making value judgments about what is better. Is it formal or informal child care? We believe that in general, it takes a village to raise a child. And it's always good when reliable caregivers are supported by both informal and formal network. However, in many rich countries in the past decades, we've seen migration waves. That means that many parents live in different places, usually bigger cities, that are not the places where the grandparents live. This means that due to migration waves, many people are detached from their traditional families and simply cannot count on some types of informal childcare because their extended families live somewhere else. Sometimes they compensate for that by using friends or neighbors, which is always great, but we also advocate for access to reliable, high-quality, formal childcare just as an option, something that parents should always have access to. And just to mitigate this perception that on the one hand there are, for example, housewives, and on the other hand there are people who make careers, in many countries, formal childcare is also used by stay-at-home parents. Many stay-at-home parents in some countries where this access is quasi-universal, use formal childcare part-time just because childcare is such an enormous task that sometimes you need those few hours just to take care of yourself. Yeah, and or... children need to be socialized. They need to start yeah. learning about being able to be in a group and, and play well with other kids, etc. 
Yeah, and what you're saying is especially relevant right now. The the great majority of rich countries are moving to a one-child society. This means that many children do not have siblings. Wow. Uh, so it takes on a whole different meaning, doesn't it? Yeah. So sometimes form, formal childcare is the one of the few places when a child can learn how to interact with equals, how to negotiate something on an equal basis. It's not just about the labor market. It's not just, just about formal education and skills. It's not mm. just about equalizing outcomes uh, of um, children from high income and low income households. It's also about just a human interaction with other kids. Wow. Hey, um, so before earlier, you said that uh, UNICEF is advocating for quality, affordable, formal childcare to be available. What else should governments be doing? So firstly, we are advocating for paid maternity, paternity and parental leave for both uh, mothers and fathers. That should start in the prenatal period to help them prepare for welcoming a child to the world. And it should be of substantial duration, at least half a year to allow both mothers and fathers to bond with their child. Secondly, we are advocating for the leave to be gender sensitive so that neither parent is overburdened with home care. Thirdly, we are advocating for the leave to be inclusive and granted not only to people who are attached to the labor market. This is especially important during the pandemic when many people lost their jobs. There are people who lost their jobs. There are people in the informal sector. There are people who are university students. And we want a paid uh, leave to be a universal human right. Mm. Fourthly, we are advocating for alignment. The policies should be coordinated so that when the leave stops, your entitlement to childcare should begin. In many countries, this is not the case. So we advocate for a coordination so that parents are not left in those policy gaps. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Next, we are advocating for investment in child care workforce. We should invest in their qualifications. We should invest in their working conditions. We should invest in low children to staff ratio so that each child get individual attention. Child care is not some random job that anybody can do. It's something that requires a deep knowledge of children's development and emotional and intellectual skills. It's a high skill job of that we course. should all value. Right. Very important. So let's zoom in on cost a bit. Um, I would assume that's the biggest barrier to good childcare. And I know you've looked at the proportion of income that parents have to pay. So mm -hmm. expand on that a little bit. How much are parents in rich countries paying for childcare? And what are the things that should be done to make it more affordable? So the first finding is that it varies enormously. In some countries, you pay zero or next to zero. In other countries, such as, for example, Ireland, New Zealand or Switzerland, a couple of two earners of the average wage will pay between a third and a half of one salary to keep two children in childcare. Mm. Then we see that most countries subsidize childcare for vulnerable groups, such as, for example, single parents from low income. However, this is not the case in still some of them. So, for example, a single parent on low earnings would still need to pay between a third and a half of their salary in Slovakia, Cyprus or the US. So we can see that childcare in some countries is 
like a luxury good. It's so expensive. And what countries can do is, for example, they could introduce fee systems ranging from a free to nominal charge for wealthier parents. This would allow, on the one hand, public providers to recoup some of the cost of provision and at the same time mitigate some effects of earning inequality. Interesting. You know, I know that we've, we've talked to many countries in the process of making this report, and some people say, well, in, in the state of California or in the county of Yorkshire, everything is paid for and, you know, kids are really taken care of. And how come we're not talking about that? Can we just uh, for a minute talk about that? We're really looking at where countries have made it a national statute, right? Yes, we appreciate efforts of many employers or regions to compensate for a lack of statutory entitlements. However, when we construct our rankings, it's important for us that your rights are protected by law. In other words, we are looking at the lower benchmark. I know that if you are lucky to live in the Geneva canton of Switzerland, you get more than the statutory payment. I know that some employers in the U.S., if you are lucky to work for them, will give you paid maternity leave. But we don't want parents to be lucky. We want childcare to be a universal human right. That's why we are told, we are looking at the lowered benchmark. What happens to you in the worst case scenario? Right. And of course, the luck always seems to fall towards those who have a higher standard of living, doesn't it? Yeah, that's another thing, is that sometimes you are lucky to have the employer providing this for you in companies where people with high qualifications tend to work. But that in practice means that people who are have the means to have the resources to buy it on the uh, free market don't need to do that. Right. <laughs> While the people who are don't happen, who are not lucky, as we said, to uh, work in such places needs to pay phenomenally high uh, prices. Right. Let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the findings in the league table. I was surprised at some of the findings there. For example, Switzerland is one of the worst performing countries, but other countries that traditionally are thought of with a lower GDP, such as Latvia or Lithuania, they fall at the top and within the top 10 countries. Why does that happen? This is a political choice. It takes the political will to change the system. And um, you mentioned Switzerland. Yes, it's one of the richest countries in history that just didn't make this choice. It is a country built on the breadwinner model. However, if you don't happen to conform to this model, you are in trouble. Because the only thing that the country offers are 14 weeks of maternity leave paid at roughly 60% of your wage. That's not a lot. Mm. Then you wait for three years and nine months until you get the right to free access to pre-primary. However, this access still amounts to only 15 free hours per week. This in practice means that either you, you quit your job and you take care of your children full time while your husband provides for you, or that you make enough money to pay for caregivers or that you don't have children or you have fewer children than you wanted just because it's a such luxury good to get them through childcare. Right. So the diversity of policies really shows where the countries rank. Um, yeah. And this is also why we made a simulation also for single parents, because the legislator can make this assumption about the breadwinner model. However, not everybody conforms to this model. That's why we made simulations of affordability of childcare for single parents of low income. And we showed that in some countries, uh, a single parent will need to spend up to a half of a salary to keep two children in childcare. 
which in practice, it means that people will need to make important life choices, such as having fewer children than they wanted. Mm -hmm. Interesting. UNICEF Innocenti is well known for doing reports uh, where we rank high-income countries, Report Card, and, and now several other publications, such as this new report, Where Do Rich Countries Stand on Child Care? Can we talk a bit about the sources of data? Because it's 2021, this report's coming out, and a lot of the data is from 2018. Two or three years old data is being used to rank countries. How do we explain that? Why is that necessary? Firstly, we are using data from 2018, 2019, and 2020. What we do is that we take the most up-to-date data that comes from internationally comparable sources. This is because countries differ a lot in their definitions of, for example, maternity, paternity leave, in provisions, in the way it is defined, in the way it is calculated, in the regional variations. That's why we need to use harmonized data sources, because otherwise it wouldn't be fair for countries to take. It's like a data. level playing field, isn't it? Yeah, we need to take the same definition and the same year to compare 41 countries in a meaningful way. However, in some cases, for example, our affordability indicators are as fresh as you can get because they are from 2020, which is the year of the pandemic. Right. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, we typically get a lot of questions about that. And international comparability takes time. It takes time to validate those numbers and to have those numbers reported and, and cleared by each country on the same terms. Let's talk a bit about COVID because this has had a huge impact on childcare and caregiving of all kinds. So I believe a lot of childcare services have had to close down. What has been the impact of, the, of COVID and what's been happening in terms of childcare? So the pandemic impacted families depending on their pre-pandemic resources. And right. I'm, I mean especially three types of resources, employment, education, housing. So employment meant that if uh, white collar workers were less likely to lose jobs, which means they were more likely to have income. When I mean education, I meant that people who are lucky to be educated had more resources to help their children during homeschooling, during remote learning. And thirdly, housing conditions translated into comforts, psychological and physical conditions during the pandemic. So the, the easiest answer to the question, how did the pandemic influence uh, families, is unequally. However, regardless of the three dimensions, employment, education and housing, pandemic has brought a stress to many families, regardless of their pre-pandemic resources, also because they had less access to informal support, for example, grandparents whom they would be putting at risk. And also formal support because many child providers closed down their services. COVID has been a massive challenge to childcare across the rich world. Will it respond? Will it rebound? Quickly? We know that, for example, some governments have uh, taken uh, measures to help parents with that. So, for example, the government of Australia introduced a policy where they were paying half of the childcare fee revenue to those services that didn't close uh, during the pandemic and didn't charge parents. So we see that in many countries, policy responded quickly in a way that helped parents with childcare. Right. Fascinating. I think um, that's pretty much all the time we have for this conversation. I'd love to go on a lot longer. It's really fascinating subject, touching such a huge population. But everyone listening can read the full report, Where Do Rich Countries Stand on Child Care, by visiting unicef-irc.org. 
You can also listen to other great podcasts by searching for Research Matters wherever you get your podcasts. And please follow us on social media. We are at UNICEF Innocenti. Thanks for listening and a huge thanks to Anna Gromada for this insightful conversation. Thank you, Dave. Until next time, this has been Research Matters.